Maybe you or someone you know has a serious medical condition. Maybe you're just looking for answers on why you're not feeling well. Well, we've got a great show for you on KLBJ. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron with WellMed Radio, an entertaining and detailed look at health and wellness for seniors and other adults age 18 to 101. We bring you recommendations on how to live longer and healthier lives. Tune in to WellMed Radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. with the Caregiver SOS show immediately following right here on News Radio KLBJ. The Todd and Oz Show is live. Get in on the conversation at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Todd and Oz. Yes, 705 here on the Todd and Oz Show. You can join us, too, at 512-836-0590. Yeah, we were talking a few minutes ago before the top of the hour. Uh, The governor weighing in on this story about the Alabama Supreme Court and IVF in virtual fetalization, that sort of thing. It's been around for decades, right? Uh, You can join us, too, at 512-836-0590. Let me squeeze in uh, Stephen real quick. He's been holding. He wants to uh, weigh in on that story. Uh, Stephen, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, so the problem with uh, Life Begins at Conception is that um, when a female egg and ovum is fertilized, it becomes a zygote, and it doesn't become a fetus for about till about eight weeks in so if in other words if a guy had a hen that was laying on six fertilized eggs and three days into it somebody goes in there and steals those six eggs and eats them did he eat the guy's eggs or eat the guy's chickens right yeah okay. he ate the eggs and he, they're not chickens but yeah. well human beings point, human beings are not chickens and according to all medical research life begins at fertilization it's just a cell. It's just a dividing cell. Well, that's, I mean, that's what, that's what you think, but the medical community disagrees with you 100%. 100%, 100% yeah. Uh, 706, uh, jump in at 512-836-0590. science. It appears the Republican National Committee chairperson, uh, Rona McDaniel, has announced that she is resigning uh, after Tuesday, Super Tuesday primaries. That's coming up March the 5th. Uh, this comes weeks after the current GOP frontrunner, uh, the former president, Donald Trump, called for some changes at the RNC. Mm-hmm. Not happy with her performance, I guess. Here's New York uh, Republican Representative Claudia Tenney on Fox. I worked with Ronna McDaniel, and I don't know if it's necessarily her fault, but the RNC has failed to go down the, in, in, at the level that the Democrats have of keeping track of election integrity issues. Yeah, but she adds that she thinks it's good to see change at the top of the party. Yeah, the former president has proposed that uh, North Carolina GOP chair uh, Michael Wally uh, should take over as the chair. And also once, uh, I guess uh, at one point, uh, Laura Trump was under consideration as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so, I mean, he asked her, you know, what, two, three weeks ago to Ronald McDaniel, he asked her to go ahead and step down if right. you would please uh you know thing, things could probably run a little bit smoothly if you weren't there in that position but he i think he also appointed her back in 2016 here's claudia tinney again i worked with ronna mcdaniel and i don't know if it's necessarily her fault but the rnc has failed to go down the in, in, at the level that the democrats have of keeping track of election integrity issues mm-hmm. yeah yeah well and by the way i misspoke there. He, he, i mean she was nominated right after he won in 2016 is what i meant to say right not appointed her but uh but I, I think this is good look obviously the republican party needs a lot of a lot of changes there there are a lot of problems right now and she i think is is part of that problem all right uh listen uh we got a graffiti problem in austin texas i guess right that's what the downtown austin commission's concerned about mm-hmm. yeah they had a meeting last week to uh to kind of uh express their concerns right <clears throat> yeah it was last year the uh 
the commission approved, I think it was unanimously, a resolution that would that would send it to council and it would form a working group to deal with graffiti. And I mean, I don't know, I don't see it often when I go down there, but I mean, when you hear numbers like $500,000 for graffiti abatement every year just for the parks department alone, sure. you have to assume it's a problem. Well, so, maybe maybe we don't see it as a problem because they're cleaning it up before we see it. Could be. Right? Could be, in which case, you know, kudos to them. But they, uh, they, they passed this resolution, they sent it off to council, and then council has done nothing with it ever since. Well, here is uh, Police Commander Jeff Olson. Uh, the Downtown Austin Commission has asked the police to step up their patrols, I guess, or their enforcement of, uh, you know, anti-graffiti efforts. Well, you know, I mean, is there anything more you can do to help the, with this issue, I think, is, is the question. You know, what else can what else can we do to stop this? Yeah. We can direct resources to try and address those issues. Now, typically, it's sending out crews to help uh, clean up the graffiti, um, obtain any evidence if we can, maybe cameras and things like that, because it's pretty rare we actually catch them in the act. Uh, it's unknown if police have any any leads on the, the vandals that recently uh, spray-painted uh, the Willie Nelson statue downtown. Well, that is uh, that is an indication of Austin, Texas. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's a nice little shining example. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Nothing sacred in this town anymore. All right, listen, uh, you can join us, too, at 512-836-0590. As you know, uh, nurses across Texas and across the country uh, over the past, uh, I guess, year, maybe two years, have occasionally launched these protests where they go on strike, uh, demanding better work conditions. Right. Uh, and, 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 and the bottom line is, and I'm trying to, and I don't want to, I don't want to speak for any nursing union type out there. You could call the show and, you know, express your thoughts and opinions at 512-836-0590. But basically what they seem to be asking for is more coworkers, more staff. They're concerned about, I guess, about the patient nurse ratio. Yeah. And, 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 and I learned something else from a, some of these nurses on TikTok, because I think they're ramping up another protest soon. Maybe not here in Austin, but other parts of the country. But listen to a couple of these nurses about some of the problems they're facing. Corporate greed has gotten in the way of our providing of safe patient care and safe staffing to be able to provide that care. All right. So it, it sounds like corporate greed, meaning they don't hire as many nurses to make money. Right? Is that what they're alleging? Yeah, I think they're they're saying that the money is trickling upwards instead of down toward the nurses and toward hiring more nurses. Right. And workplace violence has gone out of hand. Workplace violence has got out of hand. Workplace violence has got a like physical violence. That's what she says. That's what they're talking about. They're concerned about their safety. And I'm trying to figure out is are you are you concerned about your safety getting beat up in the nurses' lounge? Or do you have patients attacking you? Which is it? And if it's patients attacking you, sounds like you need to call the police, right? Yeah, I bet you. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I bet you that there's no nurse that's ever had a lengthy career in nursing that hasn't dealt with an aggressive, potentially violent patient. Probably has been assaulted at one point. I would agree. I'm not condoning it. I would agree in 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 a in a you know in an ambulance or in the emergency room. But at Ascension Seton, somebody that's in there for cancer treatment, really? Well, that would that would indicate that it is that it rises to the level of I've got to bring this to your attention because it's so bad. It's, but you never hear about it's it. It's so bad that the patients or the customers are getting angry and beating up the nurses. It, it just doesn't make sense. Their rhetoric 
does not make sense. Out of half. My name is Sid Greenhorn, and I know that joining our group, our growing group of nurses, to provide the care that our patients deserve, as well as safe staffing and the prevention of health care violence, is essential. I think you would agree with what I'm saying, and you'd want to be part of this growing group of people that will fight for our rights as nurses for the provision of care. Well, I, I'll be nice with you, ma'am. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Is, is somebody beating you up at work? Is somebody physically assaulting you? Because we've got laws to fix that, right? I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. There, there are things that already address that. She Just, used she used the term healthcare violence. What I've is never that? heard that. I've before. never heard that phrase, healthcare violence. I mean, we've heard of incidents where you know a paramedic is called to the scene and some drunk guy you know throws a punch or spits. You sure. know that can, that happens. That happens. Uh, that happens way too much. But there's this. She's talking about something completely different. Uh, hang on a second. Here's another. As nurses, we shouldn't have to fight so hard to get the bare minimum of what our patients need and what we deserve. Now, now what is she talking? Be specific. What is the bare minimum you need to take care of patients? What do, What do you need? Well, I remember when the nurses went on strike here last year twice. And you know, one of them, I think, or either one of them that was a part of it called in or, or a supporter, but was basically saying that a lot of nurses there, they have like seven, eight patients you know individually which i'll be honest with you i'm not a nurse so i didn't realize eight was a lot doesn't sound like a lot but i guess when i stop and think about it it makes sense so when they're saying we don't have the resources because you know we don't have the staff and and uh it, ultimately the patients are the ones who are suffering but that's about as well you just explained it much it better gets. than any nurse we've had on the show i mean if, if it's a matter of you got too many patients well here's the thing if, if you work in a local garage and you got a dozen cars to take care of today you might not get to those last two, right? Or those last four or five. Sure, sure. Is it the same scenario? You might not get to check in on that patient as much? Probably. Uh, probably that's part of it. And what happens as a result? Well, I, I guess maybe some, you, something could get overlooked. The patient maybe, uh, you know, some, something could happen and there's no nurse to, to be paying attention. I, I did see a survey just real quick that said 39% of healthcare workers uh, experience violence from patients and families. This according to the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. That's not good. So uh, that's bad. If those numbers are accurate, then it's a yeah. She's, you know, sounds like maybe they get hit well, it doesn't a lot by patients. It doesn't sound like they need nurses. It sounds like they need security. They need more cops. HCA staffs at a greedy level. They staff low enough that they can make as much profit as possible. My name is Chris, and I'm a nurse at Mission Hospital in North Carolina, which is owned by HCA. I am fighting for safe staffing, for the care that our patients deserve. I'm fighting for a better quality of life for myself and all of the nurses that I work with. All right. 720 here on the Todd and Oz Show. You can join us at 512-836-0590. We're seeing more nurses in the world of TikTok complaining about their jobs. And basically, they're really concerned about workplace violence. They're concerned about staffing shortages and, and being able to, uh, well, they're concerned about the uh, patient to nurse ratio, right? As nurses, we shouldn't have to fight so hard to get the bare minimum of what our patients need and what we deserve. HCA staffs at a greedy level. They staff low enough that they can make as much profit as possible. My name is Chris and I'm a nurse at Mission Hospital in North Carolina, which is owned by HCA. I am fighting for safe staffing, for the care that our patients deserve, and fighting for a better quality of life for myself and all of the nurses that I work with. I would think that uh, that phrase, safe staffing, uh, I don't know what that means, but uh, I, I would think that that could fluctuate. 
depending on how many patients you have, right? Well, sure, sure, sure. I mean, you know, if, if, you're, if your hospital is, is only usually about 30, 40% full uh, and you, you know, maybe a full staff would be enough. Right. But if it's constantly full and, and there are not enough nurses, I understand the argument. You know, I, I mean, it makes sense, you know, that, that you would want to be able to have enough nurses to give the same kind of proper care to every one of their patients. Right. Uh, but it, I, it's the same argument I keep hearing that there's not enough money. Everybody, you know, all the money is going up to people on, uh, you know, boards and stuff like that. Uh, Stacy is checking in from Liberty Hill this morning. Hey, Stacy. Hi. Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I just, I've been a nurse for about 27 years, and I've worked in most areas of nursing. Um, I've mostly worked in the military health care system, but I've also done agency and civilian sector as well. Um, I, the civilian sector definitely has much more um, issues with staffing. Um, military does as well, but um, I don't feel like it's as quite as bad as what it is with the civilian sector. Now, but, now whatever, you know, from the, on the outside in, because we're, you know, most people by and large have never been into a hospital, right? They just never had that experience. They're not sick yeah. and, and, and that sort of thing, so they don't understand the staffing issues. Give me an idea of staffing problems. What does that mean? In layman's terms, for someone that's not in the business, what does a staffing so shortage have, look like in a hospital? When you, have like, when you have like seven nurses, I mean, seven patients to one nurse, typically it's usually not. Usually you have an RN and an LPN on a team, and hopefully you have a CNA, which are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. But, you know, you're it's not just... Um, doing assessments you're having to you know you have to pass medication you have to get them to whatever um procedures they need to get to if they need to go to radiology if they need to go you know just wherever you know to to get anything done so you're trying to do all that and then people of course are on the call lights all the time and then they get upset that you don't get to their call light you know within a couple of minutes and it's it's just it's a lot for one you know especially if you're only one person with you know seven patients which it's not, it doesn't happen a whole lot, but it does happen. Hopefully, it um, you, you have like an LPN with you or yeah. something as well. Stacy, let me ask you this: from from your years of experience, does it take too long to become a nurse? Is the process of the certification, the licensing, all of that is the is it too much to fill in the gaps no. that we cur the shortage we have now? Because I would think you could train somebody to change sheets and clean a room and change a bedpan, and they don't necessarily well, have to go to a nursing school. Those are, well, there is. Those are what's called CNAs. So okay. those are like, I want to say, six weeks to get your CNA license. Gotcha. Um, certification. And so, yeah, those are people that are doing most of, most of those things, taking your patients to the bathroom, cleaning them up. Um, however, one of the big issues that we have right now, too, is with the shortage. Psych patients, people that have mental health issues cannot go to a psych floor until they have been cleared medically. So you have a lot of psych patients that come in for medical issues, not just psychological issues. Mm. And they're put on a regular floor. So oh, wow. you're, having to deal, you're having to deal with that. A lot of them, and especially and also with your elderly that have dementia, you end up putting those patients on what's called a one-to-one, -one, which means somebody has to sit with that patient 24 hours a day, which usually takes up your CNAs that are supposed to be helping on the floor with bathing and cleaning up and, and helping with your other patients or your LPN, they end up sitting a one-to-one -one because there's not enough patients. And if you don't have anybody to sit a one-to-one, -one, you end up having to restrain the patient, which mm. is very frowned upon. We try not to restrain patients because of behavioral 
um, behavioral issues. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I, I didn't think about all of those different scenarios, but you, you're right. I mean, uh, uh, does does do family members help out in a pinch? Right, I would think so with an, uh, you know it, a patient it, it that's can, yeah. Go ahead. But most most of the hospitals have a rule against family. You cannot count on a family member to accept the one to one because they don't have any medical training. Um, so even though the family is there, they you still have to have somebody sitting with the one to one. You can't you can't make the family or yeah. have the family be that person. Let me ask you uh, this, Stacy. From, ex- from your experience, and we don't know what hospital you work at, and we don't know if that's your real name or not. That's okay. No, I we, worked at yeah, we can protect your identity. I'm just curious. Is it is it because of the greedy hospital management, or is it because there's just not enough nurses in the pipeline to fill in the gaps? So this is the thing. There are plenty of nurses out there, but the pay has not gone up in years. You know, for RNs, I mean, it's gone up. I've been an RN for 27 years, and the pay has been now, again, I'm military, so I get promoted. I, I get paid based on my rank and not and on an hourly schedule. But when I look at nurses in the civilian sector and even my nurses, um, they're getting paid. They're not getting paid much more now than they were almost 30 years ago. The, yeah. the pay has not increased like it should. Not only that, so we do have to deal with more workplace workplace violence. You have patients that are they're violent. We have what's called, like, different hospitals have different codes for it, but we call it a code gray. So when a patient becomes violent, we call it code gray, and typically it will, and it will bring um, security, it will bring your nursing supervisor, um, things like that, everybody, to try to um, calm the patient down and, and get it taken care of. But, like, as far as, like, they never get charged with anything, you know, yeah. and it's always yeah. we're basically it. told to suck it up, you yeah. know, that, oh, they're confused or they have mental health issues or it's the medication that's making them confused. And so if they hit you, it's okay. If they sexually assault you, it's okay. You know, it's just something that we have to deal with in this profession. And that has been going on as long as yeah. I can remember. And, 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 and it hasn't and gotten any better. And it's kind of normal, or I wouldn't say normal, but occasionally elderly dealing with Alzheimer's, they can get violent, right? Oh, yeah. In, mm-hmm. Especially in Alzheimer's, they become very angry and very violent, and um, they, they, they can be, not all of them, but a yeah. lot of them do with, when it's more in stage. Um, and with dementia and Alzheimer's, it's, you know, you're, you're having to reorient them very frequently, and when patients get scared and they don't know where they're, where they're at and their surroundings, of course they're going to get more a little more aggressive sure. and, you know. Stacy, I'm I'm up like I'm up against the clock. I got to cut you loose, but I'm just curious: Does the traveling uh, nurse aspect of this, that's new since 2020, does that play a role, a factor in all of this? Well, traveling nurses have been around forever. It's just now they're getting paid so much that you have nurses coming out the woodwork that have quit nursing. You know, they've decided to stay home and take care of kids, or they've gone into other professions because nursing is not. Yeah, it's not like Grey's Anatomy or yeah. the or ER shows that make it look so glamorous. It's not. So most nurses are burnt out within five years. Mm. So they end up going into other professions or they end up just quitting altogether and staying home to take care of kids. Interesting. The travel nurses get paid a ton of money now. And that also causes issues because you have the nurses that are there all the time that are not making that kind of money. And then they see these, these nurses that are travel nurses or even agency nurses coming in making twice as much as what they're making. Yeah. And... You know, they feel like if the, the hospitals were just to hire somebody, hire somebody permanent, they would pay less, and they could give the nurses, the staff nurses, raises. Good so, point. Yeah. Stacy, I got to run. I, I, thanks for checking in this morning. There you go. She's got uh, almost 30 years' experience there in the, in the nursing field here locally. 
735 here on the Todd and Oz Show. You can join us at 512-836-0590. Some folks want to weigh in on this nursing story. A lot of nurses here locally and across the country are, well, they're uh, complaining about a staffing issue. They're concerned about workplace violence, too. Sure. Uh, Jump in at 512-836-0590. Dan is in Cedar Park. Good morning, Dan. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I caught part of the the prior nurses uh, discussion. She mentioned, so I've been a nurse 31 years, and she said that nurses don't make a whole lot more than what they made 30 years ago. I make slightly more than four times what I started at. I will never complain about what I make. And uh, that was, that was what I called about, but it, it occurred to me, since I had you on the phone, you talk about Ukraine a lot, and I'm a hyper-conservative. I grew up during the Cold War. If I were president, Ukraine would have already won this war. I'm not saying we shouldn't uh, hold funding hostage to the border. I'm okay with that. But I know you guys, you don't want anything to go to Ukraine. And I didn't I say would... that. Hey, no, time out. We, we didn't say that, actually. I, I don't know if Patrick believes that or not. I, I would like a good accounting of of what we have sent, where it's gone, has it been effective, and and what's the long term goal uh, it's uh, in supporting Ukraine. That's what I'm looking for. Oh, I, I would definitely like accounting, and uh, long term goal is to kill every Russian possible that trespasses into Ukraine, and hopefully Putin will be executed when he loses the war. That's that's the goal, as far as I know. Now Biden, nobody, Biden Dan, is, Dan. Dan. You're the only one that said that. Well, but that's that's what I want the goal to be. Biden is the second worst president in history after Obama. And uh, he has been appeasing Putin this whole time. He nickels and dimes Ukraine with weapons, just enough to stalemate the war and get as many Ukrainians killed as possible. Well, that's, so, that's, that, well, that's what we're doing. That. That's, that's what we're doing. That's we we're 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 stalemating the war, and 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 Ukrainians and Russians are dying. Yeah, there's that's what we're doing. Yeah, I hear you, Dan. I I understand. Yeah, jump in at five one two eight three six zero five nine. Let's go to South Carolina. It was a big weekend for the former president Donald Trump, uh, defeating Nikki Haley on her own field. I was just informed that we got double the number of votes that has ever been received in the great state of South Carolina. So that's pretty good. So it's a record times two. And there's something going on in the country. Some really great things are going on. You look outside and you see all of the horror. You see millions and millions of people coming across the border illegally. We don't know where they come from. They come from jails. They come from prisons. They come from all sorts of places that we don't want to know. They come from mental institutions and insane asylums. And we don't want that in our country. We're not going to stand for it. We're not going to stand for it. You have terrorists coming in. You have people coming in that we just can't, uh, we can't do this. No country could could sustain what's happening to the United States of America. No country. So we're going to straighten things out. There you go. Uh, Donald Trump Saturday nights in, uh, in South Carolina. Uh, taking a, an overwhelming majority of the votes, mm-hmm. uh, Nikki Haley got some, and she's she's still staying in the game. She's staying in at least till Super Tuesday. She says. I said earlier this week that no matter what happens in South Carolina, I would continue to run for president. There you go. 
Big crowd there. Nikki Haley. She's got a big, uh, big mountain to climb. Mm. Well, good for you. I'm a woman of my word. There you go. Okay. Ah! She's a woman of her word. How about that? What do you think? What do you make of all of this? Well, look, you know, if she wants to stay in, then, you know, that, that, that is her choice. There is zero path to victory here. I, I, really, I really believe that. Uh, you've got more than 800 delegates that are going to be up for grabs on Super Tuesday. I don't see most of them going her way. I'll give it to her. She did better than, than was predicted in South Carolina, but that's because that's her state. Of course, she still lost by 20 points, which in politics nowadays is a pretty big margin. I'm just curious. Those folks that, uh, that did vote for Nikki Haley, are they never Trumpers? Will they vote for Donald Trump if he gets the party's nomination? I'm sure some will, but by and large, those that are never Trumpers that voted for Nikki Haley in South Carolina, will they switch to Donald Trump when his name is at the top of the ticket? Just curious. What do you think? Well, I've been putting some thought in this. I, so I think that you would have, if Nikki Haley ended up being the candidate, I think most people who are in Donald Trump's camp right now would have no problem going to vote for her. I think... I think probably the same could be said for Nikki Haley supporters, but I think you would have more Haley supporters refusing to support Donald Trump than you would Trump supporters refusing to support Nikki Haley. This is a conversation that uh, Lawrence on MSNBC had. I didn't watch the show. I just seen some tweets where he's tweeting about this, and he says basically, and well, let me throw this out there. If, if Donald Trump can only get 70% of the Republican vote, can he win in November? If Joe Biden gets 90% of the Democrat votes, can Donald Trump win if he only gets 70% of the Republican votes? Just curious. 512-836-0590. You know, I, I, it's, uh, the Republican Party really needs to find some way to, to unify itself, to bridge this gap, heal this fracture, uh, because... It seems like it's the same thing every election cycle. You've always got the Democrats. They're in lockstep with their, their candidate. and Eventually they get there, yeah. yeah and, and when they do, then they become rabid about it, yeah. you know? And uh, the Republicans had – it's not as easy for them to do that. Yeah. And so I, I want to believe that, that once, once it all comes down to it, whenever the nominee formally comes out, that, you know, people from both sides are going to realize, well, the, the real threat – is actually still Joe Biden. It's another four years of Joe Biden and mm. Kamala Harris and everything they've brought us under this first term. And by now, he'll be a lame duck. So you think you think it's going to get better? I, I wonder, 100% believe that a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for uh, Kamala Harris to be president. I, I still believe most Democrats at, don't want that, though. At some points, if he, does, if he does win, if Joe Biden does win in November... Eventually, Kamala will be the president because he he will not be able to fulfill a four year term. No, no, no. I, I, we're watching it get worse and worse and worse. I mean, even his physical strength is not where it was, but certainly his his brain power has has degraded quite a bit. Seven forty eight here on the Todd and Oz show. Let's squeeze in uh, Kelly checking in from Liberty Hill this morning. Wants to weigh in on the South Carolina primaries. Kelly, good morning. Good morning, guys. Yeah. And you kind, of, you kind of hit it on the head just a second ago, Todd, about the Democrats. You know, um, on Saturday, I was listening to Trump when he came out at 702 when they called the election, and he made an important point. He said he won twice the highest amount in any election, twice. Mm. So he had 496,000 the last time I looked of votes. 
And then Nikki Haley comes out and she makes an important comment. She says that she won, you know, there's still 30, 40% of people that are not happy with Trump. Those are Democrats. Mm. He probably is at a 90-10 if it wasn't for the Democrats jumping through. This is a strategic measure from the Uniparty mm. to show that people still don't like Trump, 30, 40%. But keep in mind, the Democrats are not having a primary. They're pushing everybody to go and vote for Haley to get to try to show doubt because they're really hoping at the end of this that he's going to be found guilty and that he's not going to be able to serve or the Supreme Court's not going to let him serve or whatever's going to happen. They're really, really hoping. And then she's going to slide right in. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point, Kelly. You're right. If you were taking uh, Democrats completely out of the voting process for Republicans in, in South Carolina this past weekend, you might be right. It might have been about 90 to 10. Yeah. 90 percent to 10 yeah i think that's what everybody's got to look at why is she staying in it's because if she fell out it would be very obvious that he would you know he would he would destroy biden what's your what you're insinuating kelly is is that um i don't think you mean to but that, that nikki haley is staying in the race to help democrats Oh no, not Democrats. Okay. okay. It's not it's not Democrats or Republicans anymore, Todd. It's yeah. the Uniparty. Oh, I agree. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Absolutely. And, and, no, I'm with you on that. They're all in it because they know if they lose this election, things are gonna change. Yeah, I got you. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Well, this came up as a question on uh, CNN's uh, Jake Tapper's program. Why is Nikki Haley still in this race? She has not won a yeah. contest yet. She just got trounced in her home state. Uh, however much you like her, support her, want her to be president, want her to be the nominee. The Republican voters of this country don't agree. Uh, the Republican voters in three states so far don't agree. Forty-seven to go. Four, that, states. That, that's Four like, states. Nevada. Oh, we counting Nevada? No. Really? <laughs> Great job, Nevada. Um, no, uh, there's there's Super Tuesday to go. There's a lot of opportunity here. Where uh, you know we are a party where I I don't believe Nikki doesn't believe most Republicans don't believe that just some party elites in a few states should dictate the nominee. So um, you know if. She has done what no other candidate could do, which is wipe everybody out of the race, um, challenge him in, in New Hampshire, come to South Carolina, um, and again, challenge here, hopefully collect the delegates as you go. Uh, she has a multi-million dollar ad buy going forward in the next uh, 16 states into Super Tuesday. She's going to challenge him in Michigan as well. So I think there's, there's still a lot of opportunity there. Come, you know, After Super Tuesday, I think that the campaign will probably reassess and say, okay, where do we go? Where do we pivot? As every campaign will do. But this is about the voters. The voters decide where this should go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that was on CNN last night. I can understand why he's, oh, we're going to talk about Nevada. Well, of course we are, because she lost to none of these candidates. Mm -hmm. She was on the ballot, and she lost to someone who wasn't on the ballot. And also, Nikki Haley didn't wipe the rest of the candidates out of the race. It was Donald Trump. Nikki Haley just refuses to go away. Listen, you could jump in here at 512-836-0590. We have an update on the accused killer of Lake and Riley. Yeah, the U.S. Uh, Immigration and Custom Enforcement confirms that Jose Antonio Ibera is the suspect in the death of Georgia nursing student Lakin Riley. He's a Venezuelan illegal alien. He's been deported. He's got a rap sheet. Fox News reported that 26-year-old Jose Antonio Ibarra moved from El Paso, Texas, where he illegally entered the country, to New York City, where he was arrested last year, but was released before a detainer could be issued. 
Ibarra now faces felony murder, malice murder, aggravated battery, aggravated assault, kidnapping, and other charges in the death of Lakin Hope Riley after it was confirmed by authorities that she died of blunt force trauma. University of Georgia Police Chief Jeff Clark. It is supported by key input from the community, physical evidence, and expert police work. Importantly, we were assisted by video footage. Ibarra's brother, Diego, who is also living in Georgia, was arrested during the investigation into Riley's death, charged with possessing a fraudulent green card. Diego Ibarra has an arrest record of his own, busted last year on charges including drunk driving, driving without a license, and shoplifting. Both brothers, who are undocumented, are being held currently without bail. A funeral for Riley is scheduled to be held on man, Friday. Man. I'm Jeff McKay. Man, oh man. Man, oh man. I mean, here we have yet another innocent American death that could have been avoided. Yeah, a lot of American citizens commit heinous crimes as well. Sure. But we could have stopped this if we actually just put a little bit of focus on the border. This guy, he got... uh, he uh, was paroled into the U.S. Uh, you know, he he crossed le- illegally near El Paso in, in September of 22, and then he was paroled, as they call it, into the U.S. He's got multiple arrests. He had no business being here. And uh, I, I, I am absolutely sick of these stories. Yeah. I mean, you know... <laughs> We do, do, do we need to start getting really... Uh, I mean, what about, like, extremely stiff jail what if what if yeah. you, what if you put capital crimes on the table any time an illegal immigrant commits an, a, a, an act like this? It there should be so. capital murder and enhanced crime. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't belong here. You broke into this country. You murdered a young woman. Now you're going to pay the price. Yeah, uh, you know. I mean, uh, you'd have immigrants' rights activists and the ACLU and all these people out there arguing heavily against that, of course. But we got to do something. It is uh, 7.54. Listen, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he says he believes the Palestinian government isn't interested in having a two-state solution. Not interested in it at all. Unfortunately, I think that what they want is a, is a one-state solution. They don't want a state next to Israel. They want a state uh, instead of Israel. Yeah. Now, Netanyahu's, his comments come after the Palestinian Prime Minister resigned. Uh, in uh, in response to the aggression against uh, civilians in Gaza, uh, the Palestinian president Abbas still needs to accept the resignation. Uh, the U.S. has been calling for uh, well, basically reforms in the Palestinian Authority so the government body can oversee Gaza uh, once the war between Israel and Hamas ends. Mm. I think the big question is if there is a two-state solution, who would run it? Israel would run one. I get that, but who would run? The Palestinian government. Well, obviously, obviously, some, you know, some terror sympathizer, you know, who, who it would have to be. That that's all that would be interested. Hamas, probably someone, if not them, someone just like them. The Todd and Oz Show, weekday mornings, five to ten on News Radio KLBJ. Maybe you or someone you know has a serious medical condition. Maybe you're just looking for answers on why you're not feeling well. Well, we've got a great show for you on KLBJ. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron with WellMed Radio, an entertaining and detailed look at health and wellness for seniors and other adults aged 18 to 101. We bring you recommendations on how to live longer and healthier lives. Tune in to WellMed Radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. with the Caregiver SOS show immediately following right here on News Radio KLBJ.